Welcome back to Single Minded, where we're flipping the script on being single. I'm your host, Hannah First. And I'm your co-host, Linda. So, um, I texted you last week saying, like, have you watched Indian Matchmaker Season 2? I binge-watched it. Oh, so did I. I binge-watched it in, like, a day or two. <laughs> Sorry, it's uh, Indian Matchmaker has had some criticism, but I actually think it's a really interesting show because it, it's like almost a reflection because it shows you these people are really serious about finding love and finding a life partner, but some of the participants are so chronically dissatisfied and they expect to find the perfect person that ticks all their boxes. And so when I was watching it and I was thinking back to being single, I was like, oh, my God, like you, you yeah, do. Yeah, rings true. It really rings true, even though like the show has some cultural elements to it because it's obviously like matchmaking and people are like, you know, want to marry someone in the same culture. So there's that. But, but aside from that, I think it's really universal about how picky people are when finding a life partner. Well, the absolute pickiest person who I really didn't like in season one, Aparna. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, the attorney. And yeah, yeah, yeah. She was so negative, abrasive. So negative. Kind of quite superior, rude. Yeah. Really rude. And kept saying, I'm very busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. But yeah. I think maybe she watched herself and she's softened up a little bit during the journey. And I loved seeing her back on season two, not using Seema Auntie's services and still without a partner. Part of her issue was her mother because her mother was so similar and I think the mum has rubbed off on her, but um, I have warmed up to her. Well, I wanted to talk about, so they've got, if you haven't seen it, there's a matchmaker, her name's Seema Auntie, well, they call her Seema Auntie, and she says, so like a lot of the contestants bring up Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra, and Seema Mm. Auntie says... I don't feel it's a good match. Sorry to tell you that. He looks so <laughs> he looks so small and petite in front of her and she looks elder. <laughs> it was the it was like it was the she she really throws out some truth bombs. So that was the first one, but the person that I was really struggling to watch and maybe because it was like a reflection of of myself was Viral. She was the one that she went on a date with this guy and she she was convinced he didn't look like his photos and she oh, actually brought it up on the so date with rude. him. I know. And he was just so devastated. It was mm. actually quite a really mean mm. thing to do. Yeah. I found her really difficult to watch. She sort of put herself on this like pedestal and like wouldn't compromise. And she basically, her mentality was like, no one is good enough for me. There was a bit of that. So she went on a date with this guy and she just had convinced herself. I thought he looked like his photo and it was his photo. He wasn't catfishing her. And (laughs) she basically was like quite rude and almost a little bit aggressive on dates. As in, like, this is me, this is what I want, and, like, if you're not going to meet that. Yeah, some you know? of them had crazy long lists. And Viral actually went, she she met this guy that she really liked, and he was, like, late for a date, and she just went off at him, and I thought, oh, no, oh, <laughs> no. She really went off at him on that date. No room for error. He didn't live up to the standard of you have to be on time. I mm. I actually found her to be the most interesting because it was probably what I 
was like as well. Mm. You just think that you deserve this and so you're not going to like compromise for anything. At least they can watch the series and make some amendments. Yeah. Really the best part for me of both seasons are the interviews about marriage with Indian couples. Generally they're older. Yeah, that had been. They were all products of arranged marriages and I couldn't believe some of them had only met really briefly before getting married. Yeah. But they were all, what struck me was. So happy. So happy, even if they were sort of making fun of the other person, but there was just so much humour and they were really. So much humour. Enamoured with each other. Absolutely loved that part of it. So the the guy that I thought had the right idea and the right attitude to dating was the cardiologist. Oh, what a lovely guy. So lovely. So, so he lovely. did have he did have a checklist which was fine. He had some good things on that checklist, but he was actually also really flexible. So he had said that he was like a little bit unsure about dating someone that was from India because he was Amer- American. Yeah. And he said that like I wasn't sure because like I thought there might be some cultural differences. But in the end, the date was, they were so cute together. They had so much, like, it was so cute. (laughs) The ice skating. Yes. And he basically was really, had this sort of open mind going into dates. So I thought if you watch the show, I thought he had a really good attitude towards dating. Yes. And the last thing I wanted to say on it was Seema auntie, Seema from Mumbai. She (laughs) basically, her number one tip, I would say, for meeting someone serious if you're serious about meeting someone was you're only going to get 60 to 70 percent of your checklist Mm, she says that over and over compromise 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 is what she says and I think that that's a good learning for everyone to take away from the show yes there was there was a lot of height restrictions and she's saying yes but are they a nice person I mean Yeah, and I felt so sorry for the event planner, Nadia, who's been in two seasons. Gorgeous, gorgeous Gorgeous, great personality. Yeah, laughs all the time, but just keeps getting her heart broken and is often stood up. That's that's what I couldn't understand. That Mm. happened a few times. Mm, It is gripping. I don't watch any other reality love show all of those ones that are on tv except this one i I like it well next episode i want to talk about i'm going to send you the link there's a catfishing story it's called untold on netflix so everyone go and watch Uh, it i think it's untold the girlfriend that didn't exist mum you're going to watch it i'm going to watch it all the listeners watch it and then we'll talk we'll talk about it in two weeks anyway you had a little story you haven't told me yet. i was just saying um Rob went out with a friend on Friday night and he said, oh, you know, that guy's really tired. I'll just be home in an hour. Well, you know what that can turn into. So by 11 p.m. I was so tired. I went to bed. No, Rob, that's fine. Anyway, the next morning he regaled me with his evening and then we got on to discussing a little minor renovation we want to do here at home. And he says, by the way, I was looking at Tinder. And I said, oh. Tinder? Do, do you mean Pinterest? Is it Pinterest or Pinterest? <laughs> Pinterest. Oh, oh, no. Yes, yes, yes. Why did I say Tinder? I said, you <laughs> want Tinder last night when you were out? What? He said, as if I don't know how to use Tinder. It must be your bloody podcast, all the talk of <laughs> dating apps. I've got very mixed up. Bloody hell. <laughs> you better get on and check oh, he's not on there. <laughs> that's so funny. So funny. 
Well, today I'm interviewing Georgia Grace on libido. So we'll get into that interview now and Linda will be back at the end to give her thoughts. Can't wait. Now, I'm joined today by Georgia Grace, also known as G-Spot on Instagram. She's a certified sex coach, and I put a question box on my Instagram, and libido came up quite a few times. So, Georgia is joining me today to answer your libido questions. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's so good to be back. (laughs) So good to be back. What I wanted to start with was what actually is libido? This is such a great question and when people come to see me for questions or concerns around libido, I actually need to take time to teach them what it is. So libido is, I guess, the commonly used term for desire. However, as a practitioner, I typically steer clear from libido as it doesn't necessarily accurately describe what it is that we're talking about. So desire is an urge, a motivation or a wanting for sex. So often people will identify that this feels more emotional or psychological. And what we need to do is make a distinction between desire and arousal because they're actually very different things, but people get them confused. So arousal being the physical response in your body. So that could be your genitals becoming erect or engorged or wet, lubricated, your heart rate quickening, your cheeks becoming flushed, you know, all of these physical responses to arousal. And sometimes people will look to their genitals and think, hey, but I don't have arousal. Does this mean I don't want sex? Or the other way around, Mm. they may want sex, but they look to their genitals and their genitals aren't aroused and they think, oh, does this mean I don't want sex then? So we can't turn to how our body is responding necessarily to tell us whether we're wanting sex or not. That's really desires sort of motivation, that kind of wanting for sex. So Mm. it is different. Sometimes they exist together, sometimes they don't. But I think that distinction is really important. I remember for anyone that hasn't listened to that episode, arousal, it was um, that book, Come as you are. Oh, come as you and are. And I think you mentioned yeah. arousal can be like we think that we just need to get aroused before we have sex, but there's what was it called again? So arousal non-concordance. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. So that's when your your body is responding to arousal in an unexpected way. So mm-hmm. like that's kind of what I was speaking about just then whereby you might want sex, but your body's not aroused and you, your body mm-hmm. might be aroused, but you don't want sex. And I think the really important thing when it comes to arousal is that when it comes to sex and our understanding, understanding of sex, we often turn to penises to Mm. teach us everything about what sex should be. And when you look at, you know, someone with a penis, they can experience arousal within seconds or minutes. You know, a penis becoming erect can be pretty quick. But when it comes to someone with a vulva, that can take 20 to 40 minutes to be fully physiologically aroused. So when I'm talking about that, that's looking at the clitoris becoming, you know, erect and engorged, blood flow, you know, the heart rate quickening, all of these things, it can take longer. And that's not to say that people with vulvas or women are too much or they take too long or, you know, it's just too tricky. It's not that at all. It's that we need to stop comparing these two different genitals. They are very different and people require different things. Mm. 
So someone actually wrote in and this was their question. She said, guys who, she wanted to know about guys who have a low sex drive. And she said, Mm. it's really common. And I guess I wanted to know, is it a myth that all men have high libidos? Totally. Yes. And this is something that comes up in session with me all the time. This Mm. myth, it's a myth that all men should desire sex more. And if we're in like, this is talking about heterosexual relationships, I'm guessing from Mm -hmm. the person who's asked. So when a couple will come to see me, a heterosexual couple will come to session, it can be quite confusing for them. And it's, it's even this sense of identity, like what's wrong with me? I'm a man. I should mm. want sex. I should be ready to go yeah. and, you know, thinking about it all the time. And that might be someone's idea of normal and healthy, but we cannot expect this of all people. All people are really different. And that also assumes that women or people with vulvas, it's not natural for them to desire or want sex. So this myth is, it's wrong, Mm. (laughs) having worked with so, so many heterosexual couples, that it is not true that women or people with vulvas can frequently desire sex more than their their male partner. What kind of things do you do? kind of work with them Mm. in session so I the first thing we would do is we would work to really normalize that for them to feel safe and comfortable and to know there's nothing wrong with them at all that it's actually very normal Mm -hmm. then what we would do is if it's affecting them and their relationship, then we work on it. Because some people will identify that actually the frequency that they're having sex feels great. It feels accessible. It feels like all they can commit to. But a lot of people Mm -hmm. have this idea in their head that, and it comes up all the time, quantity. Oh, we should be having sex twice a week. (laughs) I was going to say, like, do people say, like, we're only having sex once or twice a month, but they think that they should be having sex three times a week. Yeah. Yeah. And that becomes like an issue. Totally. Even though like both the couple, like they're happy to have sex a few times a month. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> and I, I will ask them and reflect that back to them. You know, what mm. is fun about this? What's fulfilling? What feels like it's really great and accessible to you? And they'll say, oh, actually, this is really fun. And we do enjoy this and we look forward to it. And it doesn't feel like a problem. So then we have to kind of look at the social, cultural and political factors that have informed how they think and feel about sex and completely sort of disrupt that so that they can start creating their own idea of fulfilling sex because Mm. people will want they'll always ask me what's a normal and healthy amount to have sex and I cannot possibly answer that for people that's something that they have to come up with and they have to feel comfortable with yeah I mean even yesterday in session I worked with three different clients who were struggling with the the quantity and the quantity Mm. of sex was you know really affecting them even though they were quite happy with how much they were having sex but it's this fear oh if I don't have sex with my partner will they turn to someone else or also is there something wrong with our relationship because we're not having sex as much as we used to Yeah, that's such Mm. a big thing. People compare it to the start of a relationship, perhaps when it was limerence, 
you couldn't keep your hands mm. off each other. What is limer? I saw someone <laughs> write about that the other day. Can you explain what that that is? Yeah, so it's basically the honeymoon period whereby mm-hmm. you, you know, you have all of these feel-good neurochemicals surging. You feel like you're on a high. You can't stop touching mm. your partner. I guess people experience it six to 18 months at the start of a relationship. And it's really, really fun. And it's a great time in a relationship. However, we can't necessarily turn to that time to have a finger on the pulse as to what is your normal amount or, you know, your idea of fulfilling sex when you've been with your partner for 5, 10, 15 years. That's, you know, so many other things come into play. But we certainly can find ways to draw on the sex life that you had at the start of a relationship to find ways to bring it in. Well, I was going to ask if couples can get I think people do think about this. Can couples get that sort of spark of the honeymoon period back? I'm sure you can't get it back all the time like it is at the start, but like are there any tips that you have to sort of bring some of that spark back into the relationship? There's so much you can do. I think one thing that has been a really common theme, and I hate to bring up the pandemic, but, you know, here we are, Mm. it's when people were around their partner, there was no space for longing. There was no distance between Mm. seeing them. Maybe there was, you know, lots of comforting touch, intimate touch, loving touch, but not so much distance or sexual erotic touch or experiences. So what we try to do is create some space in order to allow for that wanting, allow for that urge. I think often, you know, there's this analogy that is used in these spaces where it's like, you know, if you were to eat chocolate, you know, all day, every day, Mm. and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but you don't (laughs) necessarily have that longing or that wanting for it after a meal or the end of the day. Good analogy. If it's it's always (laughs) in your mouth. So it's the same when it comes to your partner. If you're always sort of being really intimate and, you know, close and loving without creating that space or that distance, that wanting for them, that wanting for their touch. So it might be as simple as saying, just don't touch today and see how you feel yeah. at the end of the day. I was reading Esther Perel's book, listening to the audiobook, and I think she had a couple that worked together and they like oh, were in the same office and they spent all day together. I think her recommendation was the same, like having separate offices. At the end of the day, you go to your separate spaces and you unwind on your own and then you come back together. It's it's true, like having that space away from someone, you, you get that longing for them. Yeah, and no doubt, like, you would really know this well, being oh, away from yes. your partner. <laughs> Three months. Imagine that first time yeah. like, you see each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Electric, like being yeah. touched or, you know, hugged to just to connect with them again. It's, yeah, I think lots of people will recognize that when your partner's been away or you've had that mm. time and space, that when you see each other again, it can be, you know, so intense and fun. There's mm. space to long for them. That'll be fun for you guys. <laughs> oh, it will be. We're still in the honeymoon phase. <laughs> yeah, you've got the limerence down. <laughs> 
does your we were talking about libido? Does your libido go up and down? And are there people that naturally have higher sex drive and higher libido? Yes, yes. So a lot of people who have their period or menstruate will say that throughout the month they even notice changes. So mm-hmm. and this is actually different for everyone. Sometimes it can be tied to, or we can look to you know different hormones or different stages of the cycle, and it would suggest that when you're ovulating, perhaps you are, you desire sex more, you're wanting, Mm -hmm. you're feeling sexy, you're feeling your most confident or, you know, whatever. But when I speak to people, actually, it's so different across the board that some people are really, really desiring and wanting sex when they're bleeding and some people just after. So it is so individual. I think what would be really useful for people to do would be to track when they desire sex most. Is there a certain context, a certain time of day, a feeling, an emotion. How do you feel in your body? Is there something that your partner's doing or not doing that, you know, makes you desire or want sex more? But then to your question, are some people naturally more horny or more intersex (laughs) than others? Yeah, for sure. For some people, it's a whole part of their identity. They will say, mm. for me, sex is a way to connect. It's a way that I connect with my own body. It's a way that I connect with my partner. I think about it a lot. I want it a lot. And as a result, you know, this is you know who I am. And then for others, they'll say, I don't desire sex. It's not front of mind. It's not an essential. Mm-hmm. But then we can also look at the spectrum of sexuality and looking at asexuality, which, I mean, if we were to really simplify it because it's such a unique experience just like all other sexualities it's that if you're asexual you don't necessarily have that motivation for sex mm-hmm. you may have a motivation to connect to touch to hug you may also have sex at some points but you don't necessarily have that motivation or that wanting for sex so absolutely every single person is unique in their desire, in their motivation and their wanting for sex. No two people are the same. It absolutely does change for a range of factors. And for anyone who is wanting to get, I guess, more information about that, I mean, you could, of course, get professional support, see a sexologist, a sex coach, but also Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are, has I actually bought that after, yeah, straight after you mentioned it. I got the audio book and started reading Mm. it. It's really interesting. I haven't read the whole thing yet. It's quite a big book. Yes. Yeah. It is a big book. It's science heavy. I mean, it's, it is yep. an interesting read, but it, I mean, she's a researcher. Yeah. But this book has changed, you know, people's sex lives. It's changed how they feel mm. about their own body. I honestly think everyone should read this book. It's incredible. Okay. I'm going to finish it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Finish it. If a couple has a mismatched libido and it's causing them stress, like I can imagine that people that are going through stressful situations or they've had kids or they've got super stressful work, I can imagine that would potentially cause a mismatch of libido. What can they do? Like I was watching this Dr. Phil episode and I felt so bad for the couple. They like loved each other, but she did not want to have sex Mm. at all. She just was like, I've had kids. I just, I don't desire it ever. And he was super stressed out about that, the husband. 
Is that something that you see? And like, where do couples start when that happens? Yes, I see it all the time. And what we would do, so if the couple was coming to session, I would actually ask the person who doesn't want to have sex, is this something that you're willing and wanting to work Mm -hmm. on? Because a lot of the time, if they're coming to see me, they'll say, yes, I'll try anything. I want to want to have sex. But yeah, yeah, we, we, I need to kind of ascertain that they are wanting to work on this with their partner. And I think think the first thing we would do is we'd start even by redefining sex. So we'll take it away from being naked and we'll even take it away from penetration. Because a lot of the time what I notice is that because this you know, the partner with perhaps lower desire, they're not necessarily engaging in sensual moments like a longer Mm. passionate kiss or jumping in the shower with their partner or telling them they look really hot or sexy or slapping their bum because they think that if they do that, then the partner with higher desire will think, oh, it's on, quick, let's go, Mm. let's jump on this opportunity. I've heard this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So as a result, all people are missing out on these kind of smaller erotic sensual playful moment so we take sex off the cards for x amount of time sometimes it's Mm. a few weeks sometimes it's a month and we just start by integrating more playful erotic moments that could be 10 20 seconds and as a result what we find a lot of the time is that once you've started engaging in that actually being naked together or touching each other more erotically feels more accessible it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. as scary or as daunting the arousal starts to build sex becomes front of mind more so that's one of the places we start but then we also look at the different types of desire So there is spontaneous desire, and that is the urge for sex that seemingly comes out of nowhere. And typically someone who will say that they have higher desire in the relationship, they'll identify that maybe they're more spontaneous. So you take very little stimulation, but you just think, oh, sex would be a really great idea right now. We see this a lot in movies and porn, but we also often felt it at the start of the relationship. So we think, oh, is this the normal way that we should be operating? But it is just one way. The far more Mm -hmm. common way of experiencing desire is responsive desire. And this refers to how much stimulus your body needs in order to bring sex front of mind. So for Mm -hmm. some people that could be receiving a neck kiss for 30 seconds and thinking, oh, I was thinking about work, but now that this feels good, actually, I do want to get naked with you. Or it could be going, on a really romantic date or being away on holiday or, you know, mutually masturbating and then think sex with you would be quite fun right now. So we look at the different ways people experience desire and often the person who says they have low desire is more responsive, but they're just not getting enough stimulation to bring Mm. sex front of mind. So we find different ways to do that and we'll map out things that turn them on and things that turn them off and try to remove or manage some of those turn-offs and bring in more of those turn-ons so that there's more context. Do you think couples that stop having sex probably altogether, is there an element of like a bit of ick? (laughs) Like are people getting icked out by their partners and the things that they're doing? Yes, Yes, absolutely. I think the ick or even feeling awkward, so awkwardness or, you know, being like, ah, you're the father or mother of my child or you're you're doing all the bills or you really, you know, I saw your dirty undies on on the floor, whatever it is that 
to then see them as a, a sexual person can take some time. And I think feeling awkward and awkward sex is actually something that if you're wanting to, it's useful to expose yourself to it, mm-hmm. to be okay with it feeling a bit awkward at the start, and but staying with it. You might laugh. Mm. It might be uncomfortable. Of course, never recommending you to push boundaries or to go, you know, to a place that feels, you know, really uncomfortable or, or that you don't want to do. But staying with the awkwardness is actually really important because a lot of the time people tap out when it gets awkward because mm. they think, ah, it's too much. Like mm. I, I can't do this with you. I, I don't want to do this with you. I'm laughing and now the mood's gone. Just staying with it. So yeah. you can certainly get the ick from your partner. <laughs> <laughs> Are there couples that you've seen that would have had like potentially years without having sex and then they sort of decide that we want to give this another go? I can just imagine that would be like, having sex for the first time with them all over again, especially if you've gone like years without doing it. Yes. Couples that have gone years and years, sometimes even decades without Mm. having sex. What brings them? Why do they decide to, because it would almost maybe be easier not to, like Mm. why do they then decide to to relook at that? It could be, you know, so many things. I think we're we're in a space where sex is a time that sex is being spoken about a lot. And I think Mm. people have access to information and they think, oh, you know, maybe this could be something that is useful. They could just get to a point that they think that it's gone on for too long and they're missing a part of them and Mm. they want to start exploring. It could be a specific issue or concern that's happened in the relationship, whether it's infertility or, you know, they just don't feel connected to their partner and they've decided that this is something they really want to work on. The kids have left the, mm. you know, the house or yep. they're moving into new stages. There's so many things that, and, and I think that this is an important piece too, just because you've been doing something for X amount of months or years, it doesn't mean that you can't change it or rewire it or do things differently. If you're willing and wanting, you see value in it, if it will support you in having a fulfilling sex life or just a fulfilling life, then there are so many things things that you can do and practitioners and professionals work with people like you all the time. Mm. So finally, this is sort of related. We had another listener question. So how do I bring more spice to the bedroom without upsetting my partner? We've been together 10 years. Mm, Yeah. I guess a lot of people feel nervous about bringing something up in that it will offend someone, but Mm. there's a bit of a framework that I would follow. So the first thing would be is get a sense of what it is. So what is this spice for you? Is it that you want to work with sensation play or toys? Is it role play? Do you want to watch something? Do you want to try something with, you know, a group or go to an event or so getting really clear on this thing that is exciting you, Mm. do your own research. Then bring it up in a context that feels safe and accessible. So some partners will say that they know that their their partner would hate it if they said, let's sit down on Friday and I want to talk to you about this thing because their partner would just be in their head thinking, oh, my God. So maybe it would be more spur of the moment. But others will know that their partner would feel completely bombarded if they didn't have time to prepare or think about it. So 
mm-hmm. getting a sense of when your partner would be most receptive to this and speaking to the benefits. I think using the the approach of a bit of a shit sandwich without, you know, it actually being, you know, necessarily a bad thing, but speaking mm-hmm. to what you love about the relationship. Why is sex important to you? Why do, does it help you connect with your partner? Speaking to the thing you want to try and the benefits of it. Why are you curious about it? And then, of course, reminding them of all the things that feel really great and that you adore about them so that it's seen as this thing that you want to explore and try without necessarily being something that they're not doing or they're lacking. It's not a rejection of them as a human being. It's not saying that they're an awful or terrible sexual partner. It may be useful to give them time. They might feel a bit like, ah, you know, and they may even have a response that is judgmental. They may even Mm -hmm. have a response that shames you. And if that's the case, you might want to work through that with a professional, but really take it as perhaps they, they're, they're getting used to this new information. And if you need to go away, think about it, do your own research, come back, answer questions. It might be a no and they might not want to do this thing. And if that's the case, say, thank you. Thanks for letting me know. Is there anything else that we could try? Is there anything else that would be exciting for us? But they might also have been wanting to do this thing for a really long time and Mm. have never known how to bring it up with you. And that is often the case. I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I can like, imagine that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know you wanted to try it. I didn't know that yeah. this was your thing. Because so. sex can be so awkward to talk about for people. And so bringing it up, both bringing it up, like no one's going to bring it up first. So yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. It can be so awkward, but it is so common for a partner to have a mutual interest in that mm. too. And if that's the case, go for it. Try it. Know that it might be similar to learning a new skill in that it might feel a bit kind of weird to figure out a few things at the start. But when when it comes to spice, I often think novelty is mm. one thing that is a key theme for a lot of people. Trying something new, doing something different, it being novel is, a, you know, can be really erotic and exciting for a lot of people. Well, thank you so much. This was super interesting. I'm going to enjoy my limerence stage. Yes, enjoy it. (laughs) But for anyone that's out of the limerence stage, hopefully this was really (laughs) helpful for you. You lucky thing. All right, Linda, your favourite topic on this podcast, sexual relations. Yes, desire, (laughs) desire and libido. So on desire and libido, a few things that get in my way are, being honest, one, menopause. Oh, yeah. Two, being with the same partner for 36 years. (laughs) Is it 36 years now? Wow. Yeah, since I was 25. And number three is that Rob and I work together. Our desks are next to each other, have been for many years. So we are basically together a lot of the time, even to the point where, as you know, we have a double shower. And often we are in there together in the morning as well, chatting away. So when you mentioned Esther Perel's advice that you should unwind separately and come back together. So we have now gone into a habit, actually, 
post-COVID. So we do our own thing every Wednesday night and on Sunday, all day Sunday, and I, I think that is an absolute must. Yeah. So I was looking at over 50s and libido and <laughs> always Tracy Cox wrote this book, which I haven't read, Great Sex Starts at 50, How to Age-Proof Your Libido. Uh-huh. So there's a few things I took away from that. And she says, exercise and good nutrition can help a great deal, both physically and emotionally, to help older adults feel vigorous, healthy and sexually interested. And I agree with that because Rob and I are at the gym twice a week and I think it keeps us supple, feeling energized <laughs> and strong. And so consequently, more physical generally, if that's what I'll say. I'm sorry, Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) And she also said, which I agree, uh, it's a case of use it or lose it with our genitals after 40, (laughs) let alone alone 60. What? Yeah, there's a whole generation, she says, of women in their 50s and over who missed the vibrator revolution, not me, Mm. and never caught up. So if you're a woman over 50 who doesn't own a vibrator, buying and using one will almost certainly guarantee you are more sexually satisfied than you are now. And sex toys are also an instant, effective, low-effort weight to add variety to a stale sex life. Nice. Oh, do you know what movie we have to discuss on here? Oh, that one that you spoke about, which I can't wait to... Oh, my God, you should see Linda in the video right now. (laughs) You are a mess. Why don't you sit Um, the phone on the desk so it doesn't move around? Well, I don't. I need a little thing to stick it into. Just just put it up against your computer screen. Like that. There you go. You can see the light now. There you go. Yes, Leo Grant. Yes, Emma Thompson. When's that coming out? We have to watch. It's (gasps) out. I wonder if it's showing in Thailand. Okay, so the movie is Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. That's it. And it's on Hulu, which I think means it's on Disney in Australia. Is that right? I think it's only at the cinema. Maybe right. it'll come. And it's got 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. So basically mm, Emma Thompson, I don't that. I don't think has ever had an orgasm maybe. And so she goes and sees a male. Yes, a male sex worker. And yeah. hey, um, Something else I forgot to say, on Sunday Rob went up to my oh my to get me a coffee. Yeah. And Adam, which was very nice of him, and Adam said, does Linda want a medium or a large? And Rob said, I'm not sure. You're her coffee husband. You know her better than I do. And Adam said, well, it will depend on her mood. How is she this morning? And Dad said, she's still asleep. I don't know. And he said, oh, let's be safe and get her a large. <laughs> Love that coffee banter in the morning. Mm. I'm drinking 7-Eleven coffee at the moment. (laughs) Actually, Linda, I think you'd be quite impressed by the Thailand 7-Eleven coffee. It's actually quite drinkable. I think it costs a dollar. Last time I was in Thailand, I went to um, Starbucks, which I don't normally like, but it was was pretty good. No, no good. Oh, really? Okay. No, the Starbucks coffee over here is is quite expensive. I'm just having a look what the conversion is. It's $4 Australian for a Starbucks coffee. It doesn't even taste as good as a 7-Eleven coffee, which is 80 cents. Wow. Okay. Next time I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) Next time you're never coming here. (laughs) Oh, no, you never know. Never know. All right. Well, that is it for this week. We will see you in two weeks. If you made it this far, I'm hoping that you enjoyed the podcast. 
if you could subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review, that would be much appreciated. It really helps other people find the podcast. Not that I'm desperate or anything. 